0: Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. Joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, assistant editor. Hello. Scott, how are you, bud? Pretty good, thank you. Managing editor, Sarah Levy. Hello. Hello. Coming up on the show today, we're going to do things a little bit different this time. We've decided to run through seven stories that our team has been watching. Everything from Governor Gavin Newsom's abrupt decision last week to allow restaurants, gyms, salons, and more to open to a city council candidate who keeps having to fix his economic interest disclosures, and yet another story on the metropolitan transit system's intense obsession with collecting fares. But first, Sarah, I think we should talk about this. The Mexican pizza has died by the hand of menu streamlining, that corporate monster, menu streamlining. The Yum! Brands chain, Taco Bell, is among the restaurant companies. This is CNBC permanently rethinking their menus. You see they closed you know, a lot of their options, cut down staff, so they trimmed back their menus to realize uh, only to realize that that made customers happy because things were faster. Taco Bell already cut the seven-layer burrito but has now cut the Mexican pizza and I joked, I, I joked that that was going to be painful for you, but it really is. And now I feel bad. <laughs> I don't know. Are you okay?
1: I don't know how I'm going to get through this, to be honest. You know, the beef Mexi-Melt's been gone for a long time, yeah. um, underappreciated. They already announced they were getting rid of all the tostadas, which is like the light version of the Mexican pizza. And so this is... painful it's just it's really painful it's really tough
0: you related you related a story that you used to beg your parents to take you there every sunday was it
1: yeah every sunday after church my mom and i would go to taco bell i would get a mexican pizza um i've been getting them ever since you used to bring me one on your way back from kogo
0: so now isn't it true that all all taco bell items are the same thing except like in different shape yes like they're all the same for they're ingredients. all the same
1: but also gloriously different
0: <laughs> well um i i mean i saw the nachos come out i think that's just the same thing but with chips underneath right so maybe we'll be all right
1: no never go no, over this we won't be all right
0: <laughs> well uh Hopefully, I don't drive to Kogo anymore. I don't drive to NBC, so I don't stop by that Taco Bell anymore. Maybe we'll do one last pilgrimage, or is it? o it's over. Probably. It's, no,
1: uh, we have a couple months to gorge ourselves so disgustingly oh, okay. on Mexican pizzas that hopefully we'll never want to eat one again.
0: Okay, <laughs> like like smoking a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, like smoking a pack of cigarettes to stop smoking. I, I thought that would be a good idea in college. Did not go well. <laughs> Did not go well. All right. Let's start with the news uh, that came out suddenly Friday of the state of California. Gavin Newsom announced a whole new tier system. So we we went from phases to to uh, there were there, uh,
2: were there were stages within the phases, though, or was so it could- phases within the stages?
0: Uh, I hard to say. Good question. Don't know. <laughs> to the to the monitoring list. Then we had the we were on the state monitoring list. And now we have tiers, color-coded tiers not sensitive to those of us who are colorblind and have no idea what you mean when you say it. we're in the red tier, but San Diego was in the red tier and it was the second worst tier that they had.
1: Yeah. Like things are things are bad.
0: There's substantial spread of the virus in red tears however
1: which, which obviously means
0: time back to s- in op- business <laughs> time to open some things up bros let's go it the tier when applied to us meant that we actually got to open gyms got to open restaurants restaurants slash bars Apparently, there's only a few actual just straight bars. Almost all the bars are actually restaurant slash bars. So uh, all of them get to open with only 25% capacity, which certainly makes it hard for them to pencil out in some ways, although they can spill out on the street now. So maybe they can just have a few people inside. They showed a picture of a waterfront bar downtown. There are a few, few people in there enjoying a, a drink. Uh, one thing, though that was really weird about it. There was one thing that got more restrictive. Did you see this? Mm. One aspect of our economy that got more restrictive than it was being placed into this tier. Retail had to cut back on how many people could go into a store. So you, it had gotten to the point where you could just go to a store. Now they're going to have to click you off again. I thought you were setting up
2: a joke there because you you used the... Rhetoric of late-night comedians everywhere. He said, mm-hmm. you see this? Do You see this? Do you hear about this?
1: You hear about <laughs> this, though? <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's just my cadence, I guess. Uh, and he did this. Now, obviously, this is a bone I've been picking for a while. He decided to open all these things for the county. Now, the county could have been more restrictive, but... Hell no, right? Like, let's go. <laughs> they appeared not but, to even contemplate that, really. Yeah, it was like not even, a, not even a concept they would consider. So much so that Nathan Fletcher actually boycotted their announcement that they were going to go along with this. And they had these helpful little drawings of people getting their hair cut and stuff and eating just to help you understand what could be allowed now.
1: That press conference was great because it's like, look, look, we just heard about this. Thirty seconds ago, like the rest of you, we're still trying to figure it out. Also, everything's back open.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, at one point, Taryn Mento, I believe from KPBS, asks Wilma Wooten, the public health officer. So, do you think you, you know, you could be more strict? If you wanted, you could keep things closed. And she's like, Yeah, we're gonna look at that. What? <laughs> what? So, but now we're you're gonna like, open them? When? Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was weird. It was so weird. And of course, all of this happened. They decided to open all these things, even though they knew full well that schools had not yet opened and that this could not help schools get open um, as far as like physical campuses. And so it, it made me a little bit sick. But we did get uh, this week a little bit of an update on one of those public health triggers we've been watching. So the school district took this one. This was the outbreak trigger So it's the only one that's been triggered the whole time they've had it since we went from the phase and stage system to the monitoring system to the triggers. And the trigger that was triggered is the outbreak one that says we can't have more than seven outbreaks for seven days. And, uh, you know, that's never, we've never been underneath it since it launched. And so You know, they've been asking, we've been trying to demand information about what those outbreaks are, where they are, why is this still bad? And they asked, our Will Hunsbury asked Wilma Wooten, the public health officer, about the outbreak triggers and how they came up with them and what might happen now. And here's what she said. So we looked at the three months of, at the time, May, uh, April, and March, and uh, looked at the number of cases and uh, develop the number based on that.
3: Going forward, we didn't have a crystal ball. And knowing, obviously we knew as things would open up that uh, we would have more uh,
0: cases. So we have uh, asked two entities to look at modeling to determine going forward if that number should change or remain the same. So uh, they are going to rethink it, it looks like, just uh, another Another trigger evolution in the in the stages and phases and tiers. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you when you have an opportunity to reconsider
2: the trigger based on the tier that you're in after you've already graduated out of the system of phases and stages and the watch list, you have to also take the that watch opportunity. List. Yeah, yeah. You have to take that opportunity.
0: Yeah. To re-examine. Yes. Uh, we got a couple groups looking at it. So... Whew. Quite a week in the public health crisis that has ruined our lives quite a week <laughs> anything anything more on the virus guys are we good? would with you there?
1: say the tears caused tears
0: Yes hey yo. Uh, that's apologies. I have to quit this podcast and <laughs> employment at voice of San Diego and never talk to you again uh well, notice there was uh, a lot of people pointed out when the tears and the colors came out that there wasn't a green color. And I was like, oh, well, I would have noticed that if I had the ability to see colors or oh, distinguish colorblind? them. Yes. Oh, you are. Okay. Oh. There's rampant There's discrimination th- against
1: my kind. Brand new information.
2: Brand new information. Yeah, interesting.
0: There's rampant discrimination against us in these sorts of announcements, but I think it was very clear they did not want to put a green anywhere because green means go. And they don't want to tell people to go. You can go to certain things, yeah. No, but not go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, We're in red, which clearly means <laughs> open
2: everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not go, it's stop. Except to go where you want to go and do the things you want to do. The one that's, you know, there's like 10% of gym occupancy. What is that? What? Why even open gyms at 10%? That's, I know they're going to figure out some ways to make that work, but... That's bananas to me. Like, that's why do you even get to open if you can only have one tenth of the people in there at any given time? What is that? What's going on there? I just, I just it's weird. All right. Well, schools started this week. <laughs> it's so weird. These Zoom calls, like, just watching my kid, like, with the headphones on, just gazing into his screen. Uh, the Spanish teacher for our 14 year old in the house, she, uh, he couldn't, you know, get things going. It was just, it's, it's just, it's a bizarre experience. There are some private schools opening and some schools in North County opening their physical campuses, uh, in the latter part of this month. But obviously if this virus spreads, although we're in the, we're in the red, so it's the virus will know to stop. But if it spreads... They might have to with uh, pull that back. San Diego State already said that the tiny group of people that were meeting on campus have to stop because of an outbreak there. It's all going really smoothly. <laughs> it's all it's all very Sounds smooth. With this, this pandemic management.
2: Yeah, there's. I mean, the the SDSU
0: and every other
2: college in the United States of America, it seems, doesn't exactly give me faith that. Schools would be open for very long if they did reopen.
0: There are some that have been going, and uh you know there's there's two versions one the the sort of rural areas I know of rural areas of- Colorado that have been going they had an outbreak they shut down one class but kept going uh and then there's like the ivy leagues that are testing like twice a week and like really trying to keep uh keep things going i, I yeah we'll we'll watch you know we thought baseball would shut down they kept going I don't know um San Diego Unified School District spent Thursday demanding that Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans pass the relief bill that the House of Representatives passed before the HEROES Act to send billions to schools. They they took school buses. This was probably going to resonate across the country, probably going to change a lot of minds. They took school buses and they drew SOS with them. So when you look at them from above, it's Save Our Schools, SOS. You get it? yeah right so it's save like an, oh. it's like an emergency yeah. you know
1: I mean just the the regular s o s but also work,
0: yeah so the school the the school buses have been employed uh they need more money to 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 ever open apparently, and they need it from Mitch McConnell, who clearly is very worried about san diego and and me Mitch McConnell, do you think he's worried about me? I think you're worried about you. Does that count? (laughs) No. Oh,
2: no. Okay. All
0: right. Number three in our story list this week. We had a big one just today. This is Thursday. Break is Kelly Davis, uh, our contributing writer, uh, had an explosive story. Uh, There was a medical records clerk at the Vista Jail who said she was threatened with retaliation if she told anyone that she'd confront, confronted a jail sergeant who had refused to put a man named Heron Moriarty on suicide watch. Moriarty's family says the county knowingly withheld the clerk as a witness. What's going on with that story? Sarah, it was a big one.
1: Yeah, so we've known um, quite a few things about Heron Moriarty's death um, in 2016. You know, since it happened, it's been in the news um Quite a bit, but this new declaration, like you said, is really explosive because somebody from within the county is contradicting their official version of how things happen. So they've maintained that um, they had no way of knowing he was suicidal, that they actually thought he was homicidal and might hurt staff members, but um, didn't need to be placed on suicide watch. Uh, the man's wife has said she called several times begging. Um, jail officials to put him on suicide watch. He had told officials at a different jail that he was suicidal, but then was moved to the Vista jail. Um, and so now this this clerk says that, you know, you could hear him howling for days um, and that everybody knew he was suicidal and um, it was recommended he be placed on suicide watch and that, you know, the officials who would make that decision just didn't want to go through the paperwork. They wanted to leave early And after his death, this woman contends that um, that jail sergeant told her this, our conversation never happened. We never talked about putting him on suicide watch. Keep your mouth shut, essentially. And it's a really disturbing declaration. If you read the full thing that she provided to the court, she says it's haunted her. She can still hear him screaming at night um, and she wishes that she'd come forward sooner.
0: Let's put this in context, of course, Kelly Davis and, and um, other writers, mostly from the Union Tribune, have been uncovering a lot about deaths within San Diego jails. Uh, so what's the context around that? We, we've heard for a couple of years now about just how much, uh, it, disproportionately really, compared to other places and how bad it's gotten, right?
1: Yeah, I think the you know, common thing tying a lot of these together is what protocols were in place to ensure that these people were in safe settings and didn't have access, um, you know, to the types of things that they could use to harm themselves. Um, And so I think many of these families are saying you should have been checking on them, you should have been putting them in a different environment, you just should have had a lot more protocols in place to keep people safe.
0: Well, it's a great story at voiceofsandiego.org. Happy to host Kelly's work on that. All right, number four on our list. We're racing through some topics of the week. The San Diego County Water Authority is seriously considering building a massive pipeline to break free from its dependence on Metropolitan Water District. It could be the most expensive public works project in San Diego history and has long been written off as unthinkable. Well, now officials are thinking it again. Mm -hmm. So just some background here. Uh, We get most of our water. I think it's like 75 to 80% of our water from two sources, the Colorado River to the east and the Sierras to the north, the Sacramento Delta to the north. Metropolitan Water District brings that water to us and sells it to the San Diego County Water Authority. And the San Diego County Water Authority sells it to places like the Department uh, of the Water and Wastewater at the City of San Diego. So there's a bunch of different agencies that are part of the Water Authority. They pay for this. uh, And uh, Metropolitan Water and the San Diego County Water Authority have been in a fight for a long time about how much Metropolitan Water District charges san diego for bringing that water through those pipelines and so they've been you know batted this idea around for decades to get their own pipe to the colorado river and to the northern part of the state and bring that water in uh, themselves uh, and now jim Madaffer, the chairman of the san diego county water authority you might remember him as former city councilman of the city of san diego is really pushing it they, they're actually spending money now to go and get this consultant's to review how it might work and what it might cost, and their numbers are crazy.
1: What is so insane about this idea to me is that, you know, obviously a lot of these projects to fortify our supply, uh, whether it's desalination or pure water, They're really, really expensive, but at least with those two projects, we're talking about a new source of water for us to use that makes us, you know, less dependent on anyone else. Um, Whereas this is like just a pipeline next to the existing pipeline. It's the same source of water. It's the same route to get the water here. It's just like if you built a freeway and called it the nine freeway and it was next to the eight and they were the <laughs> same route and took you to the yeah. same place as and it's it's crazy
2: <laughs> yeah and and I mean one of the common reasons cited for trying to foster independent um, water sources for us is the fear of what happens in a massive earthquake with if the the pipeline gets knocked offline are, are we gonna go uh, days or weeks without water um, well, this would do nothing to solve that, unless you know. It, just be two pipelines. Broke. Just two pipelines broke. So this is, this this is really just a. Uh, I mean, it's seemingly just a project. Uh, There's to, to further this feud that's been going on forever. Because even if you want to make the case for it on financial grounds that that we're getting overcharged by Metropolitan, well, you know, you got to pay for a, a pipeline. Is, is it really a, a good cost?
0: Yeah, so you have to pay... There's some huge numbers this fast. You have to pay $5 billion to get this thing built. And then you have to pay like $150 million per year to keep it going. So they think it'll even out once Metropolitan in like 40 years or something is charging so much that it, it evens out. Now, here's the number that got me. This one's crazy. The favorite option that they've come up with for this pipeline would use an estimated 774 gigawatts of electricity per year. That's enough to power 1.4 million homes. How many homes do we have here? Like, about that? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to take a look. That is. I think it's I mean, about that.
2: It's, it would make sense that it's about that, just based on the population and how many people live in a house. I can I pull th- up that so, number for you very quickly. Hang on.
0: So... In essence, they're trying to power, like they got to build something that takes twice as, mu- as much as our entire residential usage already takes. And the reason it is, is because when you build a pipeline like that, you've got to pump the water up hills, and then it'll go downhill, and then you got to pump yeah, it up other hills. it's
1: not just building the pipeline, you have to push the water through it.
0: Yeah, I've been to Lake Havasu, where they have these gigantic pumps that pump the water up uh, that uh, that first hill, that Metropolitan Water District laid that groundwork for a long time. Uh, they so so the first question obviously that comes up, they'd have to build all these transmission lines and pumps and everything, and then they and then McKenzie asks, well, what about greenhouse gas emissions? Because you're doubling how much electricity we need for our entire like or a good part of our homes in San Diego County, and they're like. Potential greenhouse gas emissions from the project were not calculated by the consultant. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Uh,
2: there are 1.2 million housing units in San Diego County. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> There's, so this would power more than the, the same amount of electricity plus 200,000 homes would be used for this project. It is so bananas, and they're seriously talking about it. They're seriously spending money on it. And she asked Metropolitan Water District what they thought, and they are like, you could almost hear them laughing. Like, you could almost hear them <laughs> laughing in their interview.
1: Such disdain. It was quite something.
2: I always, I feel like the, the relationship with, with Met and, and San Diego Water Authority is like Adam Sandler playing basketball with the other fifth graders in Billy Madison just just yeah. like blocking the yeah. shots and just like talking
0: trash while doing it <laughs> oh they're gonna hate that comment they're probably gonna call me and we're gonna have to have a lunch or, or zoom lunch whatever it is now all right
3: it's worth it <laughs> It <is. laughs> i'm adriana heldes and i'm a producer at Voices san diego when I started working here at Voice, and whenever we hire a new reporter, we get a debrief of the entire region. It's a quick but useful explanation of some stuff most people in San Diego don't know about. Our CEO, Scott Lewis, walks us through things we need to know in order to follow all the in-depth reporting Voice of San Diego does. Like how San Diego gets its water, how local government works, why there are different types of schools, and who decides major things that affects us as San Diegans. These things help us understand the bigger picture and the drama that's happening in San Diego every day. And then we realized that everyone else should know this stuff too. So we started a project called San Diego 101. It's a video series that explains it all. Our videos will help you understand how our region works, and you can watch all five episodes now at vosd.org/sd101. Again, that's vosd.org/sd101.
0: number five this is another just shock to the consciousness uh, from this one's from Lisa Hauerstapp for years San Diego doctors have essentially written prescriptions for patients with disabilities so they can qualify for discounted metropolitan transit system fares bus trolleys but MTS has declined to fulfill doctors recommendations hundreds of times in recent years particularly for riders with mental health conditions MTS and the contractor it directed to review those applications have rejected more than 1,660 of the roughly 5,660 long-form applications they received in the last three years. This little piece was written with some clarity, and um, again, like kind of shocked the consciousness of you know any reader on this. Uh, yet another instance of MTS being intensely obsessed with getting people to pay to ride the the trolleys even when they might have a valid like discount
1: yeah um that they would go so far as to overrule doctors who say that riders need these is is pretty shocking and then the other thing we heard is that the the forms are so convoluted and confusing that on top of the ones it rejects outright um you know another thousand or so have been sent back just saying, well, you didn't complete this or it's not right or it's incomplete. And so they're de facto rejected as well. And so when you put those together, it's a huge number. Um, and MTS is required to offer these fares as a condition of you know, some of the federal funding that it receives. And so they've just apparently made it really really difficult to get that and other agencies don't make it so difficult essentially if a doctor signs off um you know for the north county transit district or other places then that's it you get one
2: yeah it kind of reminds me of uh investigation voice did years ago maybe 10 years ago about the county's administration of food stamps um Mm -hmm. in that you know you're it's it's a to some degree it's a federal program you're supposed to just be the agency that admi- that administers it that provides the service and once you bring a like a strict uh, like a financial uh, scrutin you know scrutiny to the applications process you can kind of you can you can kind of squeeze it dry and it seems like that's basically what they were doing here they were being especially rigorous uh, you know beyond what their peers are. Um, Basically to save money
0: yeah that's a that's a great parallel. I think um, uh, remember the um, uh, that story that you mentioned the county when we asked them about their reluctance and their low participation of food stamps and food assistance and and other um, uh, social welfare things like that, they would say, well yeah, we are philosophically opposed to those things, and so we've made it really difficult to. Get them, even if they were like uh, actually qualified. So I, I don't know if there's a philosophical opposition, but there was definitely an opposition to getting less money. Right? Yeah, this yeah, this seems more more than a philosophical opposition. This
2: seems like an, an accounting decision. Um, yeah, and, and it, I think it go and goes hand in hand with the uh, logic of the transit uh, the fair enforcement that that we reported on earlier as well. Where it's just like we are going to wring every dime we can out of our potential ridership, if that means rejecting uh, lower fares for uh, people with disabilities or who you know doctors say have disabilities, or um, you know creating a uh, aggressive enforcement regime for people who may be fare hopping, we're going to do it because there's a buck to be made in it.
1: This one was even more shocking to me, though, because, I mean, if somebody doesn't have a ticket, you can certainly argue that they shouldn't experience really dramatic, terrible, life-changing consequences. But no one's arguing that they don't have a ticket yet here. um, You know, they they jumped through the hoops to get this discount and a doctor signed off. You know, a medical professional said this person needs this. Um, to be able to get to appointments and to be able to thrive in their life. And MTS is saying, uh, no, we know better.
0: Yeah, Yeah, great story by Lisa Halverstadt. You can check that out at voiceofsandiego.org. All right, number six. We're cooking through this. This is fun. Good job, guys. City Council candidate Kelvin Barrios running in District 9, the uh, area that covers... Uh, City Heights, Kensington, Talmadge. He acknowledged in a new filing that he was paid by a, pub, a pri- uh, sorry, private sector union at the same time that he was on staff and advising Council President Georgette Gomez. Okay, there's a reason you don't want to be having political staffers on a politician's staff being paid by outside groups, Correct. Yeah, you want the the public to have faith in knowing that
2: the that city officials are working in their interest and not some other specific
0: private interest. So this was uh, this was for the last week of his service, was it? How how much time did this overlap occur? He, he
2: he discloses it a little bit weirdly. He says that this overlap occurred for a week, but three working days. So uh, that's how he leaves it, and he says. Um, that there was no no conflict occurred during this brief period um, meaning I suppose he, that he didn't work on anything related to the laborers' union during those three days that he was that he was getting paid by both entities um, now the problem is according to the city's ethics laws, it doesn't matter if you actually have an actual conflict of interest. it is simply illegal um, or unlawful to be paid by a private entity for hours in which you're also being paid by the city. Um, there's, it doesn't require that there is a documentable conflict of interest.
0: Is there a cooling off period, though, required for this sort of thing? Like, I mean, I was surprised that they, they could just go right into service of a, of a private entity like that, that I, I would imagine his role had something to do with political um, advocacy, but I, I guess it, it's not as clear. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not a registered lobbyist
2: now. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of those cooling off periods have to do with when you're registering oh, to lobby. Got it. Uh, so, so now we, we should also add, though, that that filing, that disclosure about his economic interest, um, the form that he filed on his way out of Georgette Gomez's office, that caught us by surprise. We had previously written a story about his incoming economic interest disclosure in which— he forgot or neglected to uh, disclose income he had made in the previous year as he's required to. Um, it was about $10,000 from different campaigns he was working on in that year leading up to his being hired in Georgette's office, uh, Council President Georgette Gomez's office. And so um, when we talked to him about that, he said, well, I'll be amending that disclosure form. I'll be, you can keep it, your uh, eyes out for it. I'll be amending that this week. Um, and we didn't see that come through, but we did see this other form come through, and that other form we uh, then jumped on and started asking questions about. So this is two separate uh, but very
0: similar instances um, from, from Kelvin Barrios. Yeah, you and Jesse Marks had um, some scoops on that this week, and one of the parts of that story, though, is he did send some things to the union from his city account while he was uh, employed by both, Yes, exactly. One was a uh, related
2: to how to make grant applications for a, uh, a, a fund from the state, state natural resources, and one was uh, actually labeled confidential. It was a, a development proposal that had been submitted to MTS for uh, on some of their property that had been presumably also provided to Ed Gomez's office. She was the chair of MTS, uh, and he forwarded that to himself as well.
0: Well, some good stories, again, by Jesse Marks and Andy Keats there on voiceofsandiego.org. Check that out. Okay. And number seven, we've got to talk about that building, 101 Ash Street. Mayor Kevin Faulkner decided this week, another scoop by Lisa Halberstadt, to stop paying rent to the city's landlord at 101 Ash Street. It's a bid to try and untangle one of the worst real estate debacles in the city's history. The city's choice to halt rent payments comes less than four years into the 20-year, $128 million deal designed to allow the city to eventually own that building. Of course, the city has a bunch of people that work uh, in different parts of downtown. They wanted to put them all in one place. They wanted to own the building so they didn't have to pay rent forever, thought it would save some money. They have never been able to move people into this building, and of course, it's become a scandal Uh, among a lot of different uh, real estate scandals that Mayor Kevin Faulkner has faced. And now they've just decided to apparently default on this process. Um, Normally, if you're renting a place and you don't pay rent, you get kicked out. But I think there might be even more involved with this because obviously they don't have anybody there. They're not getting kicked out. But uh, I think some of the people that have money involved in this uh, and hope to get those rent payments in are probably not happy. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this default decision is that the the
2: reasoning for it, the rationale for defaulting has been stated explicitly. And I do wonder if it will be able to be an effective strategy after you've already telegraphed that, not just telegraphed, you have said explicitly in the press that the reason to stop paying is to force the landlords back to the negotiating table, and that this would give you negotiating leverage to then, uh, you know, essentially renegotiate some sort of uh, payment process. You know, maybe that you want to spend less, you want to pay less, basically. Now, uh, that actually seems like a pretty rational move in some ways, because I, I think the landlords are still going to want some money. Uh, and there might be a way to, to lower the city's liability. Uh, I do wonder how the landlords will react to the fact that they know why the city's doing this because the city has already said so publicly.
0: I think this is really interesting that they can do this. And here's here's why. We were wondering for weeks why the city would rent to own this. You know, like, what's, what is the reason behind that as opposed to just buying it? Like, yeah borrow money, and buy it. And I think um, what we learned, so Lisa and Jesse did some great work about another building that the city bought just before this in the same exact style, from the same exact developer middleman, Cistera, And that's this uh, Civic Center Plaza building where the city attorney holds uh, her office and other offices are there right across the plaza from City Hall. And they uh, rented to own that Precisely the, as city officials said, because remember years ago, attorney Corey Briggs, who's now running for city attorney, came up with a theory that the city is not legally allowed to borrow money without a vote of the people. That's actually in the charter. And the way that they were using to get around that was illegal. And so if they wanted to borrow money, they should have to get a vote of the people. And he made this case over and over. He, he struggled in court to, to actually win and prevail in a lot of these points. But the city officials were so um, spooked by this possibility of this getting hung up in another similar suit like that that they decided to do the rent-to-own deal. And I think in a weird way, they so they applied that same strategy to this building, 101 Ash Street. And I think in a weird way, that's what's allowed them to even think about this option of not paying this rent. Because if they owed bondholders in Wall Street uh, you know this money because they had borrowed it directly as a city well they couldn't default on that that's like actual insolvency that's actual like bankruptcy you're, you''re you're gonna trigger some serious credit consequences for the city and some cash flow problems if you do that and I think in a weird way now they 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 actually probably feel a little more liberated to do that so I'm not quite sure what the consequences to them. Might be, but I bet we find out. <laughs> yeah, and, and now there are investors on the other side of this
2: deal who are expecting payment, and there is some speculation that Lisa reported on about um, whether this would be treated as essentially defaulting on on, on a bond. It, it isn't a bond, but whether it would be essentially viewed that way by um, investors who are expecting these rent payments to flow to them. Um, so it, that's a too complicated a issue for me to
0: to litigate or think through on my own yeah exactly well we'll keep following it voice of san diego thank you we wanted to take a minute and thank our donors who pitched in for the summer fundraising campaign we raised over sixty-seven thousand to support our election coverage we also had 68 first-time donors 57 new members joined the community during the campaign your contributions are what make voice of san diego possible it helps makes this podcast possible we wouldn't be able to do this uh here's some of the shout outs we got your podcast got me involved in local politics now i'm a city planning grad student it's all your fault sorry marissa from north park (laughs) city planning grad student that's that's cool i mean they'll still need those and it's a a fun little area you'll never be frustrated by community groups and such another one came in i value the quality in-depth local reporting i get from both the articles and the podcasts from vosd that's gloria and bankers hill and the weekly podcast some of the most amusing and informative local content out there uh that's gil and mission hills thank you gil i uh, appreciate everybody's support uh, obviously we are trying one by one to win over people uh, and to earn their trust uh, one reader at a time one donor at a time and we have uh, more than three thousand uh, members now it's, it's very special politifest is also back and the registration is now open you can go to politifest.org to get your tickets I was stoked today to hear about some of the debates we've confirmed. There's more coming. You can check out the whole schedule of debates uh, online at politifest.org. This year's summit, which will take place, of course, virtually uh, during the week of September 29th through October 3rd. We usually do one big day. This is going to be several days. We'll have races, ballot measures, major major public issues uh, through a future-facing lens. We're going to basically theme it, pick your future. How will this year's election affect our future? What are the implications for work, education, in our communities? Go to politifest.org. Get your tickets today. We've got a bunch of people from other media outlets helping us moderate some of these things. Uh, Danny Freeman, NBC. Andrew Bowman from uh, KPBS. Uh, Claire Trageser. A lot of folks helping us. going to be a great day or week. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in our homes and in my garage In San Diego, please make sure you're subscribed to our show so you never miss an episode. And keep up with all our big stories and local news updates with The Morning Report. That's our most popular product. Comes out Monday through Friday. Uh, Join thousands of informed San Diegans by getting The Morning Report every weekday, 5 a.m. Get it at VOSD.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats is Assistant Editor, Sarah Livy's Managing Editor. And this show was expertly produced by Adriana Heldes. Thank you, Adriana. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.